Please turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Now, I did a massive introduction last week, and I do apologize for all of those who had to sit through all of that. Uh, but I, I, I just thought it was all so important. Uh, and sometimes you really just need to know some background in order to appreciate, amen, what you're about to learn and the things that are in the book. And um, one of the things that I brought out last time was the fact that uh, there, there seemed to be this idea that James and Paul uh, opposed each other in what they regarded faith was, because, you know, Paul, uh, in fact, let me just read those verses. And this, these are the verses that people were arguing about um, regarding sort of their differences, as they put it in opinion or, or their views. And it was in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and um, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, For by grace have you been saved through faith. I want you to notice he says, For by grace have you been saved through faith. By grace have you been saved through faith. And he says, That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9 says, Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then James says in James 2.17, Thus faith by itself, if it has not works, is dead. No, can you see? That how you can look at those two verses if you don't know any better and think, well, they're saying two different things here. But I want you to understand something that James was writing to a Christian audience. He was writing to people that had already been saved and people that were professing to be Christian. And he was saying to them, listen, if you say that you are a Christian and you say that you have faith, then he says, show me your faith. He says, you can't say you have faith. And then when you see somebody in need, just walk past them and say, be warm, be filled, and walk on. <laughs> you know? He says, don't do that, man. You know, you're giving Christianity a bad name. But I want, you, I want to take you back to Ephesians because I want to show you something. See, a lot of people don't actually read, continue reading in Ephesians. Now, even though the Apostle Paul said, not of works as anyone should boast, he was talking about salvation. He, James isn't talking about salvation. James is talking about how do you live your life after you're saved. Amen? And he says, you need to do something with your life. Can we get an amen on that one? <laughs> okay, all right. And, you know, and don't think you have to go evangelize everybody. Hey, if you're a mummy at home, you're looking after your kids, that's doing. Sometimes I think that's too much doing. You know? <laughs> it's just like, when do we get paid overtime? You know? uh, but I want you to understand that he's talking about using what you know. He's talking about once you get into the, the, the family of God, you need to be a doer of the word, not just he a hearer. Because he said it's in the doing that you get blessed. It amazes me how people try to talk themselves up to doing something that will bless them. You know, I think the world has got into people so much. And that's why we dealt with that, you know, series Kingdom Dominion. Last time we talked about, you know, renewing the mind. Because a transformation needs to take place in order for you to walk in the blessing of God. If you don't, you know, if that transformation doesn't happen on the inside, you continue to keep doing the things that you're doing that the world said you should do and expect the blessing of God to come to you when you're not doing anything that God asking you to do. How can you not do what God asks you to do and then say God's not blessing you? Are you all with me? Amen? Now, I said I was going to take you back to this, so let me take you back to Ephesians chapter 2. And I want, I want to read one more verse. So, but I want to do it in context. So let's read from verse 8 again. I know you know these verses. He, he says again, now watch the flow. He says, for by grace have you been saved through faith. 
That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Regarding your salvation. Verse 10. Yes, verse 10 comes after verse 9. <laughs> okay, verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship. Now, this is after you get saved. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Oh, look at that. For good works. Not to sit there and do nothing. Now, I want you to notice, on one hand, verse 9, he says, not of works regarding your salvation so that nobody can boast, but once you're in, you need to know that you were created for good works. So I, to, as far as I'm concerned, I don't know where the problem is. As far as I'm concerned, they both agree. Paul says, okay, you need to, the way you get in, you don't work to get in. You believe God. But once you're in... God has prepared stuff for you to do. You need to get to work. Amen. You know, you wonder where all these people that have, the, you know, degrees and stuff after their name, you wonder where they went. I mean, look, dude, it's there. There's been this huge debate over time that there was a difference here. I can't see any. Can you? I don't know. Okay, moving on. So I, the, <laughs> the reason I want to bring this to your attention was so that you receive what the Apostle James is saying. Because the Apostle Paul agrees with him. The Apostle Paul says, listen, once you're saved, you need to do what you were called to do. You have a calling on your life now. And you need to walk in that calling. Amen? And James is going to give us the wisdom. Oh, I love this. He's going to give us the wisdom to walk in that calling. So that we are smart. We are, as Jesus said, be wise as serpents. And harmless as doves. Not dumb as donkeys. I don't know where you're going. <laughs> okay. All right. Right. We did that. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, let's go to James chapter 1. And I want you to notice again, he begins with James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. Oh, there's, this, there's several things in here. The first thing that we looked at, and, and let me just give you a quick recap, okay? Uh, it was that James... Uh, identifies himself as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think this is incredible. What he is telling us here, he puts Jesus Christ and God on the same line. <laughs> Listen, he, he knows that Jesus isn't some good dude or just his elder half-brother or just an amazing prophet. Did you get that? Or a lunatic because he thought he was a lunatic. Yeah, we looked at those scriptures last week. Watch the video. All right. <laughs> hey, I can say that. All right. <laughs> so I want you to notice something changed in his life. Remember, Jesus appeared to him after he was resurrected from the dead. Amen. Once he, once he came back to life, he went and visited James. And I think that was a courtesy. I think he needed his, his brother to know. It was his younger brother, okay, to let him know I wasn't nuts. <laughs> okay. What I said was true. And yes, you saw me die. Yes, you know, all the disciples fled. All, everybody lost hope. But it was something I had to do. And no matter how many times I told them I had to do it, they still didn't get it. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm just convinced that people only hear what they want to hear. You know, you want to say something, go, yes, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, <laughs> you know, uh, moving on. All right. The last thing that I read to you was a quote by P.H. Peter H. David. So I just want to knit this together from last week. Is that okay? 
All right? And I said, for all of his prominence and important position in the church, talking about James, all right? Uh, so important that even the letter from Jude begins with Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. The title used is very modest. He is simply a servant. I really love that. I want you to notice how he didn't, you know, it talks about pride coming before a fall. There was no pride in this man. Obviously, I, I talked to you about this before as well. When you're forgiven of something and if you're forgiven of much, I, I, it's interesting how you want to serve more, how you want to, you know, there's, there's a humility that comes in. And there is a love that comes in. And there is a faithfulness that comes in. It's really interesting. Um, and I believe that that's what happened to James. I believe that when he realized his mistake, he just, he, he literally like what Peter did. You know, when Jesus said, throw out the nets, and he just threw out one net. Remember when he said, we fished all night, nothing happened? And then <laughs> he, he disobeyed Jesus. He, Jesus said, throw all the nets out. He just threw one out. And, you know, and people have arguments about that one as well. But just follow me here a little bit, because it makes a little bit more sense when you look at it that way, that he realized he didn't do what the Lord asked. You know, sometimes God asks us, and we kind of go halfway. We kind of go, okay, I'll put out one net. You know, I mean, I'm fishing all night. What do you know about fishing anyway? You know, you're a carpenter. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> okay? He's God. He knows everything. Can I get amen on that? Thank you for those amens. All right. So, you know, we need to understand when he says to do something. And so because of that, you know, Pete, Pete realized that he had disobeyed, which is why he comes. And I want you to, you know, if you remember that story, he falls on his knees and he goes, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. That wasn't Peter being humble. That was Peter being repentant. <laughs> Some people say, oh, look how humble Peter was. No, he made a mistake. He fessed up, you know. And I love that Jesus, you know, Jesus is so beautiful that he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Get off your knees. Let's go. We got work to do. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. And I believe the same with James. I believe once he realized that he was a sinful person and, you know, whatever persecution that he put uh, his elder brother through, he realized that he needed to be forgiven, that he was God. Hallelujah. Jesus was God. Okay. Continuing on with regard to James going on to say that he is a bondservant uh, of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Douglas J. Moore writes, James, addition of the title Lord, this is what I said to you before, reflects a very early Christian understanding of Jesus as seen in Peter's claim in his day of Pentecost sermon, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Oh, that hard on the Jews. <laughs> you know, okay? He said, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is in Acts 2.36. James' view of his half-brother, Jesus, had undergone quite a transformation since the days they grew up in the same household together. Further to this, uh, this is where William MacDonald also points out that by calling himself a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, James correctly puts God and the Lord Jesus on the same level as equals. He honors the Son just as he honors the Father. That's in John 5.23. James knew that no man can serve two masters, yet he spoke of himself as a servant of God and also of the Lord Jesus. There is no contradiction here because God the Father and God the Son are co-equal. Amen? Remember that Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 30, he said, I and my Father are one. You know, when they are one, it means there is equality across the board. Amen? All right, why am I bringing all this out? You know, I need you to understand something. With all the, you know, uh, wisdom that we're going to receive from James, he's coming from this place. 
He's coming from a place. See, we must not, you know, uh, I guess try to follow the word and do things in the word apart from our relationship with God. A lot of people are trying to work the word. Do you all know what I'm trying to say? You know, let's confess 600 times and see if it works. Let's do this thing that the word tells us to do and let's see if that happens. You know, don't do stuff like that. I got taught to do stuff like that and I did stuff like that and it didn't work. Hello? You know why? Because I forgot there was a person behind all of it. Every, every time you read something, it'll always circle back to the love of God somehow or some kind of relationship or something like Jesus says, I say to you. I mean, you need to see those words. We need to acknowledge that before we go do what he said to do. We have, we have got so caught up in the doing of things, in the processes that we forgot. You know, like somebody once said, we got our eyes on the gift so much we forgot the giver. And we're demanding now gifts. Are you all here? Moving on. Additionally, Peter H. David says that he calls Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is thinking of him as his heavenly exalted Lord. Who is about to return in glory. I love this. To set things right in the world. It is this picture of Jesus that dominates the letter throughout. Did you get that? This is so important. Amen? Now, returning to James 1.1, I really want to finish this and move on. Uh, he says, notice again that the epistle is addressed initially. Now, I want to use the word initially here, okay? Because it is a general epistle. General epistle means it is to all of us. But, you know, sometimes what somebody writes to someone can be applied to others as long as we know what, you know, how to apply it. Okay, if you know why it was written, then you'll know how to work it in your life. One of the things that was so important when we're doing the epistles of John, for example, and we just did one epistle. I've got the other two, by the way, to teach. They're all done. I just still don't know whether I should call it epistles, you know. Uh, we might get to it somewhere in here. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, I realized was people didn't understand who the Apostle John was addressing. And so they used a lot of what he said in the wrong way. And so when he was talking about the children of the devil and saying that certain character traits that they had that you could look out for, that you could identify with, okay, they used it on Christians that were kind of having a bad day. And use the same consequences that those children of the devil who he actually identified as, and that was, this was relating to, people use that against Christians. And, you know, then Christians are under this condemnation. And people look at the epistles of John and go, that's a hard epistle. Only if you misunderstand it. <laughs> Amen? If you know who it's talking about, then you, can't, you know. And that's the reason why, you know, I said regarding it, that 1 John 1.9 shouldn't exist. If the Apostle John was talking to Christians, he should never say, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He shouldn't say that because he's going to take you down. Because that's what the epistle sounds like. See, understanding that allowed us to then receive what the Apostle John was saying in the right way. That's the reason why we need to understand what the Apostle James is saying so that we can receive what he says in the right way. Amen? You know more of what I mean as we get into it. But I need to make these statements now so that you catch all of this. Let us continue. Okay. <laughs> so initially he's writing to the 12 tribes. This is in James 1 in the latter half of verse 1. He says to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. 
Now, he says, uh, to understand what the 12 tribes represent, let me just read this out first. Douglas J. Moore writes, he says, the 12 tribes, of course, reflects the historical origins of Israel, made up originally of the people uh, descended from the 12 patriarchs, that is, Jacob's 12 sons. You all know that, right? You all see Joseph and his whatever. Okay, continuing on, <laughs> John MacArthur explains that when the kingdom split, I want to, can I give you a little bit of history here? Just so you guys have a little bit of insight and understanding, okay? It amazes me how sometimes people just don't have any insight into things, and I take for granted that they know things and they don't know things. I'm not doing that anymore. Do you all get me? I want to teach this. I'll give you all of it as much as I can without boring you too much, okay? But some of this stuff is interesting. You know, if you know, you know, okay? If you don't know, you don't know. All right. So again, John MacArthur explains, when the kingdom split after Solomon's reign, 10 tribes constituted the northern kingdom called Israel. And Benjamin and Judah combined to form the southern kingdom called Judah. So that's 10 plus 2 is 12, okay? You all can add, right? Okay. <laughs> After the fall and deportation of the northern kingdom to, kingdom to Assyria, some of the remnant of those in the ten northern tribes filtered down into Judah and came to Jerusalem to worship, thus preserving all twelve tribes in Judah's land. But that's not all. According to Simon J. Kissemacher, after the deportation of the ten tribes from Israel to Assyria, the reason that I'm reading this, <laughs> sorry, let me just jump in for a second. The reason that I'm reading is this is because these are the people, these are the difficulties that these people were going through. You think you have trouble, Bob. They had a lot of problems, <laughs> okay? And I want you to understand that James is writing to people that are going through some very difficult things. So when you understand what they were dealing with and who he was writing to, I hope you appreciate what he says, why he says it the way he does, and the results that you can expect from, what, from doing what he says. If he can write to these people who are in dire straits, and believe God to do miracles in their life, what more can God do now in your life? Amen? Who are not facing this kind of problem. Amen. And if you are, well, you've got good news. Here it is. Okay, here are all the answers. All right. <laughs> uh, let me read again. Okay, so after the deportation of the ten tribes from Israel to Assyria, and the exile of the two tribes uh, to Babylon, and at times afterward, thousands of Jews lived outside the borders of their homeland. Luke enumerates all of the places in the first century world where God-fearing Jews from every nation resided. That's in Acts 2.5 and Acts 2.9-11. I love Luke. He is so detailed, you know, he's amazing. These devout Jews came to Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't this wonderful? Became converts and returned to their places of residence. Those who stayed in Jerusalem were persecuted and driven away after the death of Stephen. That was really sad. That's actually brought on in Acts chapter 8. Let me take you to some scripture, shall I? Okay, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So these are the people he's writing to. Are you getting a picture now? The, you know, these are very difficult times. This is a very bad situation. What do you write in a situation like this? You know, I, I'm amazed. Once I find out the background, uh, you know, to which these people, you know, these letters were written, some of the letters from Paul, we have no idea the issues he was dealing with. I, you know, I, I was looked, when I found out, I would sit there and go, I would be sitting here and going, I don't know what to say to these people. It's like, good luck, Bob. <laughs> you know? Okay? And I really, that's the reason why I'm saying all of this, is understand that these people were in situations that are almost unthinkable. 
And you'd almost want to sit there and cry with them. You know, and you know, and yet these guys, I, I, I just, I have so much admiration for them. They rise up on the inside because they love these people. And instead of, you know, wallowing in sympathy, they rise up on the inside, pray, find out from God what to say to them, and then say, you know, write these things down and give them inspiration, give them encouragement, give them faith. Give them strength. And I just think, praise God. No wonder this word is full of life. Amen? Because it's not just something they thought, well, it would be nice if I wrote to that person. Yeah, I know he's having a bit of trouble. Let me just write a little letter to him. It was never like that. These were situations that would just cause your heart to just sink, man. You just go, wow. Can I give you some money or something? <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, later on in Acts chapter 11, Luke goes on to give us a little more insight into what happened to them. Verses 19 through 21, these are the people that were scattered, where it says, Meanwhile, the believers who had fled from Jerusalem. Can you just think about this for a minute? You know, we read this, we speed read this. I want you to think about they had to flee. They had to run for their lives. They had to pack up everything that they had in their home. How would you fare? 16 trucks later, <laughs> you know, okay? And, you know, I think about what you would have to leave behind. I had to really think about that recently when we had, you know, the floods happening. And they were talking about, you know, what is most important to you? Wow, that was a question and a half. Think about that. Think about what they had to do and they couldn't come back to their home. At least we can come back. They have to leave there forever, as far as they're concerned. How heartbreaking would that be? Amen? So I really need you to get this. So it says again, meanwhile, verse 19 again, Acts 11, 19, the believers who had fled from Jerusalem during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the good news, but only to Jews, meaning that the believers mentioned at the beginning of the verse are actually Jewish believers. Verse 20, however, some of the Jewish believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene, began preaching to Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. Thank God for those guys. You know, hallelujah. Verse 21, it says, The power of the Lord was upon them, and large numbers of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. I want to stop here for a second. Can you believe these guys? They have been chased out of their house, and they go and preach Jesus. They weren't complaining. They weren't writing, you know, strong letters to the church at Jerusalem. You know, where's the support? I mean, we believed, and look what happened. We had to leave our home because of our faith. Come to Jesus, they said. Everything was wonderful, they said. Now, <laughs> have you seen that poster? <laughs> you know, the guy that's running, and there's a whole people armed behind him. <laughs> they use that as being a pastor as well. Anyway, that was, it's quite funny. But, you know, it's really interesting. Think about this for a minute. I really want you to think about this before we move on from this verse because we need to understand that there is a price to pay to follow the Lord. You know, today we're looking for the reward for following the Lord. Back then it was a price they paid for following the Lord. Wow. I think we just, you know, I won't say it. I'll let you me meditate on that for a minute. Amen. I mean, we, we, things don't work out a little bit, we get upset. Back then, they were kicked out of their home, and they're still preaching Jesus. 
I wonder what they're thinking looking at us today. <laughs> let's, let's take a moment and pause. Okay, let's reflect for just a second. If you were one, can I switch this a little bit? If you were one of those believers, let, let's take you, Sister Vandalin. Let's just take her for a second. If she was one of those believers, she received Jesus Christ as Lord. They, you know, and they were murdering people and everything else, and she had to flee. And she went out there and she said, you know what? You throw me out, I'm going to do more. Just like when, you know, G the way Jesus reacted when they cut, you know, his cousin's head off. You know, John the Baptist, when they beheaded him. You know what it says straight after that? And he went out and healed them all. That's how he fought back. He didn't go kill them all, he healed them all. You know, and so, so you know, Sister Vandana has the same thing. You know, she goes and she goes, you want to chase me out? You watch wherever I go, everywhere you throw me out of, I'll be preaching the gospel wherever I get to. More people, more new people to preach the gospel to. That's her attitude. And then I come along. Well, you know, I've been believing the Lord now, and yeah, I've been believing for that hundredfold return, and I'm just not getting it. I don't know about this religion. <laughs> Follow me now. What do you think she's going to come in and slap me? She's like, what is wrong with you? Have you got a roof over your head? Yes. Got enough to eat? Yes. Have you died yet? Obviously not. <laughs> Are you breathing? Yes. Well, moving on. Now I'll move on. Douglas J. Moon. <laughs> right. We can, <laughs> we can well imagine these early Jewish Christians leaving their homes, trying to establish new lives in a new and often hostile environment. And because of the sense of dislocation, losing some, some of their spiritual moorings, James, as their pastor, would naturally want to encourage and admonish them. Amen? I really want you to get this. And one, one way of doing this was to address this epistle to them. That's why he says to the 12 tribes. He wants to make this personal. Now he wrote it for the whole body, but he wants to let them know, I am thinking of you when I'm writing this. Amen. Somebody cares. Hallelujah. Even though, as mentioned earlier, it was classified as a general epistle because it was meant for a wider audience than those it was initially addressed to. Finally, the Apostle James goes on to conclude in verse 1 with a single word, greetings. I love that. He says all of this and he goes, greetings. You know, he doesn't go, greetings and felicitations and hope everything is going well for you. And, okay? None of that stuff. This is a straight down the line pastor. You know what the Aussie term would be? God I. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And you go, okay. <laughs> right. That, that's, it. that's all we're getting? Yeah, that's all you're getting. <laughs> okay? All right. So, <laughs> so, so <laughs> let me read this again. So James again goes to conclude verse 1 with a single word, greetings, which is brief and to the point, just like his entire epistle, with John MacArthur explaining, the Greek word for greetings means rejoice or be glad. To James, the word was no mere formality. He expected what he wrote to gladden his readers' hearts by giving them means to verify the genuineness of their salvation. That, James knew, would provide great comfort to them in their trials, which Satan persistently uses to try to make Christians doubt they are indeed God's children and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. See, this is one of the things, you know, 
Satan's job is to get you to doubt. Remember what I said to you before. I've said this to you over and over again. One thing, my job is to get you to believe. My job is to get you to begin to understand that God is on your side. If God is for us, who can be against us? But we need to do what God tells us to do. James is all about that. James is saying, listen, you're a child of God. God is on your side. Are you doing what he is asking you to do? Because you can't expect him to be there for you if you keep refusing what he's asking you to do. And, you know, I just feel like we are, we sort of in that kind of, I guess, society that's, and, and with all the preaching that's going on out there, family, this is not a popular message. I could name certain churches who would never preach this. Big churches, which is why they're big. Seriously, family. You know? It's just like, man, you can either preach happy, clappy stuff and, you know, not make the Lord happy. Or you preach what you're meant to preach. Amen. You know, I, if this is all, you know, that's ever going to come, I want to know that I did what God asked me to do. Amen. That the people that did turn up received the uncompromised word of God. Not diluted in any way or form. Amen. That it was given to you pure. You know, James calls this pure religion, that, which means there's a defiled one as well. There's an impure one. You know what I'm trying to say? Amen. It sounds good, but it has no power attached to the thing. It is important that we understand that there is a price to pay. It is important that we understand that we are following God. It is important for us to understand that there is a devil that opposes us. It is important to understand that there are armies of angels ready to back you but only if you are in agreement with God and you speak his word. If you speak what you feel, then you won't get any help. If you want to complain, complain. It'll make you feel good, but nothing's going to change. You know, James doesn't sit there and hold their hands. He says, you got this problem, you do this. You know, if you were a mechanic and somebody called up and they said, you know, I'm having a problem with my car, it won't start. And the mechanic says, oh, your car don't start? Okay, listen, all you have to do is go to this thing, check this, you know, switch this on or try this, and the person goes, I'm too depressed. Okay. Are you finished? Now, go to your car, check this, look at that, make sure this is done. Oh, brother, can't you just hold my hand and sing Kumbaya a little bit? Kumbaya, kumbaya. Okay, we're done. All right, listen. Go to your car. Check under the hood. (laughs) See if this is working. And then get back to me. Oh, it's been so wonderful talking to you, brother. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Thank you so much. It's really helped. And hangs up. Welcome to my world. Frustrating much? It is amazing. People come to me with a problem. I tell them what to do. And they just want to hold hands for a while. And they won't do it. Now, nobody here, but this has been my experience in the past. Are you all with me? Listen, man, do what he says and it will work. James says it's the doer that will get the blessing. Somebody says, go fix this, go check that. Do that, it'll work. You can go home. You don't have to sit on the side of the road waiting for nothing. You know, just do what he says. 
And I'm, it's amazing how people go, oh, yes, brother, I did that before. Yeah, that was for a flat tire. This is something else. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't take a failed past experience that was maybe something else and uh, assign it to the next thing that's happening. Listen to what God tells you today and do what he tells you today. Don't say, oh, I tried that. It didn't work. Amen? Now, I'm going to leave it here for today because I don't have a lot of time left. Yeah, that's it. I'm done. One minute. When we come back, <laughs> we are going to get into this epistle. We're going to talk about patience, perfect work. Oh, hallelujah. We're going to understand now why James talks about patience, the kind of patience that's endurance. Amen? And he says, this is how this works. I, I, I'm very tempted to read this, but I'm not going to because if I start reading it, I'll start preaching on it straight away. So let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's conclude for today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you for this revelation and the insight that we've received today. I thank you, Father, for this amazing epistle. We are very excited. I'm very excited about what we're going to learn as we go through the next couple of weeks. And Father, I just thank you that each and every person here comes with expectant hearts. I thank you, Father, that they come ready to receive the word, plant the word, and watch it grow in their life. Because you are looking for fruit-bearing branches. And I pronounce them all fruit-bearing branches. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.